Oh, I want to share my heart a little bit uh, on this idea of Advent this morning um, from a very different perspective than what I had intended. Um, the, the sermon I had intended for this Sunday before Christmas uh, kind of got sat aside last Sunday morning. My plan got interrupted. Last weekend, uh, we went back to Jacksonville, Florida, where we're from, uh, to surprise our boys' great-grandparents. Uh, every year they do uh, Christmas family reunions on both sides of Maurice's family. And um, they both fell. One was on Saturday and one was on Sunday. And so uh, we decided uh, our boys had never, uh, Bryson, our youngest, had never been to kind of the family reunion thing. And their health is getting poorer and poorer. And so we decided, Let, let's do this this year. Really sweet reunion. But what that meant for us last Sunday morning is we were at the church uh, that we were at as young people. And it's interesting to go back there and be reminded how not young I am anymore. <laughs> to sit in the church where I was as a teenager, um, where Maurice and I went to high school together, and uh, where I went to Bible college. Um, but I was sitting there last Sunday morning, and they're singing Christmas carols like we, we did this morning, and, and that, that kind of warm, festive thing. And I'm looking around the room at some people that, had a really profound influence and impact in my life when I was a kid, when I was a young man. And the thought passed through my mind, like, what is, like, your Christmas wish for these people that were such an influence in your younger years? And that thought just wouldn't leave my mind in the middle of that service last Sunday morning. And then... I got some texts during our early service, our 930 service, that made me then think of y'all. And I realized that like my wish, my blessing for those people who had an influence in my life decades ago is really the same thing that's at the top of the surface of my heart for you. And I, it was kind of the theme of that song from the 90s by Amy Grant, your grown up uh, Christmas list, right? If you don't know that song, it's a great song. Carrie Underwood redid it, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. Um, but this idea of like, what's the Chris, Christmas wish, wish for y'all? And, and so I really want to share that this morning, it, it, just from my heart, from the Christmas story. So I invite you please to grab your Bible. Uh, if you don't have one today, there's one underneath the seat in front of you. And uh, we're going to hold that up in the air and say our creed we say every week before we jump in. If that's not where you are on your spiritual journey, we're not asking you to say something you don't believe. But for those of us that this reveals our heart, let's lead the way and hold up our Bibles and say this with conviction this morning. Here we go. The Bible is the word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me. For your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, if you're using uh, one of those Bibles from the seat in front of you, it's page 805. Luke chapter 2 is, is where we find kind of the traditional or um, summary of the Christmas story. And verses 1 through 7 really tell the parts that, that are the, the heart of the Christmas story and uh, it came to pass that there went a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And th this, this, uh, the, the story is set there, and, and Jesus is born. She wraps him in swaddling clothes, lays him in a manger because there's no room in the inn. But we're really going to pick up after 
um, the, the, that part of the story has already come to pass. After Jesus has already been born and, and laid in a manger, uh, we're going to pick up in, in verse number 8. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And I want to pause here. Those of you who've been a part of this church for a long time, you've been hearing me preach for Christmas after Christmas, I'm a little bit obsessed with the Christmas shepherds. I think it's like the most overlooked part of the story, you know, like little kids think uh, when they get cast as the shepherd, they're like, oh, I didn't get the big part, right? And yet I think the shepherds are such an important part of the story because I think the shepherds help remind us of the realness of this story of the humanity and the actuality of this story. And here's what I mean. This is a time of year full of fantasy. We don't believe that baby Jesus, the Savior coming into the world, is part of the Christmas wonder. We believe it's real. We believe it's true. This isn't a Charles Dickens or a Dr. Seuss thing, man. We believe there really were actual, like, a physical region, and there were physical shepherds out in a physical field, and they were watching over for real the old smelly sheep, and it was on an actual night, a, a moment in history, a place on this globe where for real our Savior came. This isn't make-believe. So much of this year, I, I think especially kids have a hard time telling what's real and what's true. And here's the thing. I believe there were actual normal shepherds. And the reason it's important to, to ground ourselves in the humanity of it is because then we'll understand that this story involves all of human history and all of humankind. And, and, and so we see these Ordinary shepherds in the ordinary field on an ordinary night. And that's why it's so profound to read in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord, what does that even look like? I don't have any clue. But whatever it looks like, it's shown around them. Like We don't even know much of what that looks like. We know that, that, that Moses had to hide his face before the glory of God passed by. We know that, that when Isaiah saw a glimpse of the glory of God around his throne, he fell on his face. So I don't know what it means that the glory of the Lord shone around this angel, but I imagine it was pretty amazing for these normal people on this normal night. And so, of course, they were filled with great fear. Like, we know what's coming next. Because we've read the story. <laughs> Whenever we watch the little kids in the Christmas play, we know it's time now for the angel to come walking out. Behold, right? But they didn't know what, they hadn't read the script. <laughs> they didn't know what was coming. And the thing is, historically, between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, there was 400 years of silence. No angels appeared. The voice of God didn't speak. No prophet showed up on the scene. All of history is changing right here. So for 400 years, they didn't know anybody who knew anybody who knew anybody who knew anybody who'd ever seen an angel. They weren't expecting this. And, and, and when we think historically, 400 years doesn't sound like a very long time. The United States of America is 243 and a half years old. 
right? There's your perspective of 400 years. A lot changes in culture and society and in the world. An angel appears. I, I don't know what, what else you could be filled with than great fear. And, and I get stuck a little bit at the story here because that word filled, I, I think of <laughs> some of the people I care about a lot who right now, this Christmas season, they're filled with some fear. They don't know what's coming next. We, we've got people in our, in our family of faith here who are facing unemployment right now, who are facing, I don't know what the future looks like for my career, right now, tangible, today. They're filled with fear. We've got a dear family this morning in a hospital room in Mansfield who have heard the word lymphoma, who've heard the word cancer, They're waiting for these test results to come back and confirm if all of the doctor's suspicions are right or maybe by some miracle they'll be wrong. Or to find out what stage it is or what the treatment plan is going to be. There are some people that we care about a lot who are filled with great fear right now. And and for some of us, we're on the opposite end of that spectrum. We're like, this is the best Christmas season we've ever... The only thing we're filled with is great food, (laughs) right? Like, we're like pounding on the sweets and the carbs this this holiday season filled with the opposite of fear some of us are facing a holiday season filled with with conflict the thing about the holidays is we get together with people that sometimes we have unresolved stuff with right and so for some of us, the holidays means we're, we're around people. And, and, and the thing about the, the, the relational conflict, the relational tension of the holidays, is some of it is there are some very real, genuine hurts. We live in a really broken world. Some of you are, are being exposed to what you spend most of the year trying to forget. And so you're filled with, with some conflict with some people. For some of us, the holidays represent being filled with conflict because we have unrealistic expectations. For, for some of us, the conflict of the holidays is because we want everything to be perfect and we want everybody in our family to be perfect. And then we realize that they're just as busted up as we are. They're just as crazy as we are. They're just as, uh, as, as unplanned and unorgan- disorganized as we are. We're like, man, this isn't the perfect Christmas. No, because we live this side of perfection. We live in real life, right? For some of us, the, the holidays means we spend more time together than normal and we just get on each other's nerves, right? Anybody have more than one child? Can I get a witness? Right? For some of us, we have these unwritten expectations of our spouse during the holiday season, right? And listen, there, there's a sister in the Lord who needs to hear this morning. You are not married to Jack Pearson. Any This Is Us fans? Jack Pearson, the perfect husband. I got a word for Jesus for y'all this morning. Jack Pearson isn't real. That's a TV show. Homie reads a script. He's an actor. And here's the deal. An actor named Milo Ventimiglia 
who's never been married. Can I get a witness from all the brothers in the house? He's never been married. Perfect husband. And here's the thing. If we're expecting our spouse to be this perfect whatever this Christmas, I just promise you, you're going to be filled with a giant pile of disappointment this Christmas season because we're married to normal people. Some of us, when we think about what we're filled with right now, we're filled with great stress. As a matter of fact, the uh, American Psychological Association said that nearly a quarter of Americans call the holiday season a season of extreme stress. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what are you talking about? Stressed out. Extreme. That's an extreme word, right? The holidays are filled with extreme stress. And when they, they did more of this survey to find out what exactly are we stressed about, 69% of Americans said they're stressed about not having enough time to get it all done. And good grief, this year, as late as Thanksgiving came, right? Is anybody else feeling the pressure of we lost a week somewhere? What happened? <laughs> yeah. Lack of time, right? Same percentage, another 69% uh, also checked the box, and a lack of money, <laughs> right? So I don't have time to get it all done, or the money to do it with, right? Hence the extreme stress. And I found this interesting. Only 51% of people said that the stress was about either getting or giving gifts. But the fact is, gift giving and gift getting is why you need more time and more money, right? That's, I'm surprised that percentage is that low. For some people, it's really hard to even receive a gift. Because the fact is, right, Some of you are married to somebody who's really good at gift giving, and you're not. Because two good gift givers never marry each other. It's just how it works, man, that whole opposites attract thing. As a matter of fact, maybe you have a good friend who's a great gift giver, and what that means is you're not. And if you didn't know that, and I just exposed that right now, I'm really sorry. If you're married to a great gift giver... (laughs) You're probably not as good at giving gifts as you think you are. That's just how it goes. And so there's this stress of like, I know my spouse is going to give me this meaningful gift. And now I have to act like I'm really surprised and, and move when all I'm thinking is, oh, I got you socks. <laughs> right? Like, how am I supposed to play this up? Some of us are filled with stress. The shepherds were filled with great fear. Some of us are filled this holiday season with regret. Sometimes we walk into this holiday season and and it's the time of reflection and looking back at the last year. And sometimes it's a time where we can really beat ourselves up between the ears of all the ways that life hasn't looked like what we think it should have, whatever that means. For some, that, that reflection actually turns really dark. And then for some, it's a season filled with loneliness. I mentioned this week before last. For some of our dear friends in this room, we're walking through a first Christmas without a loved one here. But my prayer, where, where all this word filled started wrestling in my spirit last Sunday morning for you is, my prayer is that you would be filled with peace this Christmas. 
filled with peace. And I, and I don't just mean peace like we all get along. I don't mean surface peace. I'm talking like the biblical definition, shalom, everything as it is intended kind of peace. That's my hope. That we wouldn't be filled with fear. We'd be filled with peace. And I think there's a path towards that in this very story. So, we won't spend that much time on each verse, I promise. Verse 10, this angel that appeared and scared him half to death said to them, fear not. Really? You're an angel and the glory of the Lord is shining around you. How can I possibly not be afraid? Here's why. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And when it says all the people, I believe that means all the people everywhere at all points in time. I believe this is a, not just good news for that region or that field or that city or those people. I believe that's good news for all people everywhere at all time. It's good news for us today. It's global good news of global great joy that overcomes great fear. What's the great news of great joy? That not just for all the people, but for unto you. Man, I'm really glad there's global good news, but I'm kind of selfish enough. I'm really, really, really glad that good news is for me too. (laughs) I'm really glad it's good news for the people I love most. For you is born this day in the city of David. Oh, what a beautiful word. A savior. A savior, a rescuer. He's Christ, the the promised, anointed one, the Messiah. And he's the boss. He's the Lord. He has come. He has finally advented. (laughs) He's arrived. A savior. For generation after generation after generation... People tried to save themselves and found out they couldn't. They needed something outside of themselves to save them from themselves. And the Savior had come. And for 2,000 years, most of humankind has repeated the same mistake and tried to save ourselves. Instead of coming to the end of ourselves and recognizing a Savior has come. Who can accomplish what we can't. He's Christ. He's Lord. That's good news of great joy that is so good and so great it can cast out fear and bring peace. But how? And this is getting to the true heart of the heart of the heart of what's been burning in my spirit. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And then, man, it gets crazier than it already was. Suddenly, there was with the angels a multitude, which in the original language is the word plethos, a plethora, right? You know what that word means, oh, jefe? Three amigos? Anybody? No? Okay, I'll keep moving. Um. 
man, it's, it's this incredible variety that theologians for hundreds of years have been like, we don't know what a multitude of the heavenly hosts even means. That phrase appears nowhere else in Scripture. We read about the heavenly hosts, and every time we read about the heavenly hosts, it's the angel armies of God. And apparently, there's multiple sections of them because the whole multitude of them all showed up in that moment, the moment that the proclamation of a Savior coming had been announced. And this multitude of the heavenly hosts is doing the only thing we can do when the gospel is proclaimed, when salvation is promised. They praised God. And how they praised God, what they said, I believe, is the bridge to peace. It's the bridge that that the gospel builds. Because they responded in two different directions. They respond with a, a vertical response and a horizontal response. A doxological response and a soteriological response. One that has to do with heaven and one that has to do with your home address. And the response is this, glory to God in the highest. The response of the gospel demands that our hearts turn to his glory and not our own. When we do that, here's the result on earth. Peace. The, the King James reads goodwill towards men when really the, the reading of the original language is, is it's men of goodwill. Men with whom he's pleased. And here's what we know about God being pleased with men is he's pleased with men when he sees himself in us. When we've come to faith in him and he's made right everything that's wrong and we're received by him, that's all a work of the gospel. That's all a work of his grace. That's all a work of his saving So again, the the gospel demands a response, which is glory to God in the highest. When we respond to the gospel with the glory of God, the fringe benefit, the overflow, is peace on earth. And, and, And what... What I was overcome with for you last Sunday morning is there's many of us in this room who I think desire peace, but we're so focused on ourselves and our situations and our wants. And here's the thing. The peace of God doesn't come through self-absorption. The peace of God comes through infatuation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want this And here's the thing, everything about this Christmas season screams narcissism and self-absorption and materialism. And there's no peace in that, friend. There's no peace in you. There's only peace in the glory of God. The whole hope of the gospel is that we don't have to look within anymore. When we look up, we finally find what we're looking for. Give Him glory. And then enjoy His peace. First we respond to the gospel with the glory it is due. And then the peace that we've desired for so long finally comes.
I love the way the Apostle Paul talks about the effect of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.15 New Living Translation reads this way He died for everyone. Is that good news of great joy this morning? Anybody? Like God died for you, y'all. God died for you. So that you could be the center of your universe. No! He died for everyone so that those who receive this new life won't waste it on self. Might no longer live for themselves, but for Him. Instead of living for self and wanting self and demanding for self, instead they will live for Christ who died for them, who was raised for them, who's living today making intercession for them. The, the Christmas hope of peace actually isn't about us. It's all about the glory of God. The best thing we can do this morning is look away from self. Even our hurts, even our wants, our desires, our, our pain, our struggle, our conflict, our stress. Look to the fact that God loved you enough to come. Look to the fact that God loved you enough to send His Son to save you. And in that looking, might we look up and give him glory because as we give him glory we finally find the peace we've wanted and that we've been looking for more than anything in the world I want peace for your heart this Christmas and so I beg you would you allow the Holy Spirit to stir up the glory of God in you because of the gospel because of the fact that Jesus loves you, He came, He died, and He rose again. So that you don't have to live for yourself anymore. <laughs> you can live for something greater. That is where peace is found. This morning, I don't know what you're filled with. Maybe this morning, on the way to church, your spouse told you you were full of something. <laughs> don't know what you're full of this morning. But my prayer is that you be full of peace. And for that to happen, I believe you first have to believe the gospel. My question this morning first is, do you believe? I mean like in the depth of your soul, do you believe that Jesus came to lay down his life for you? To raise again to raise you to a new life? Have you placed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to save you? Do you believe that? And then I would ask you, do you believe that that's good news of great joy? Because <laughs> if it really is, it demands glory to God in our lives. And maybe this morning, if, if there's a lack of peace, 
It's because we've not gone back to the gospel again to allow his glory to be stirred up in our hearts, to allow God to be exalted in our spirits so that the overflow of peace can rule in our hearts. That's my prayer for you this Christmas season.